Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is off working on the Sound Health portal. An amazing system now. Well, it's always been an amazing system, but now to have it available to us online is really just great. Rather than hauling around a computer, you can do it from any computer anywhere. It's at soundhealthportal.com. And a great example of a way to see how the Sound Health Portal works is to go to soundhealthportal.com, click on services, and then look at the current campaigns. And the campaigns are the things that they are demoing so that you can see how the system works. Some of the current ones are PTSD, bio diet, <laughs> golf. I always have to chuckle when I see golf, but it's really true. I have known golfers that have done their vocal profile and seeing that they had an imbalance in some part of their system where their muscle is getting too much stimulation or not enough or one is underactive or all the way back to methylation, how everything breaks down, and improved their game. It's amazing. One of my favorites is neuroplasticity, which reviews the everything going on in your brain, how things are firing, how it's, how's it going up there? It's really, it's an amazing amount of information and it's easy to do. So you sign up for a free account, then pick a campaign. And then it'll, the system will walk you through doing two 45 second recordings right from your computer. Better quality if you have a microphone, even the Samsung Go mic, which is a reasonably priced mic and handy to have. And you do two 45-second recordings, choose your campaign, and submit that. And within a couple of hours to maybe 10 hours, I think, is the most I've ever waited, you'll get a lengthy report with all sorts of information. I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing it. And then the next step would be to take it to your health care practitioner so they can look at it and just see, oh, let's check that. Let's look at this because it really does get down to the fine points of information of what might be hypertonistic, too much, or hypotonistic, not enough, in any number of areas. And you can also go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the media tab, and there are demos, recorded demos that Sherry has done live, where you can see just a boatload of information actually watching her go through a vocal profile with somebody. And you can see that some of the reports now where one of my favorite new aspects of the report that we'll print out is kind of a giant pie chart. And it shows you the things that are obvious, like that's way out of scale and we should look at that. So it makes it visually really easier to see what's out of balance. And those are demos where she'll go through a whole process with somebody. So it's really informative. And you may have to watch them more than once. I highly recommend it. I'll say this now because by the time we get through talking with Dr. Jaffe, who is, <laughs> wow, what a resource of information. Really amazing. This uh, show can be found at soundhealthoptions.com. Click on the radio tab and then click on Sound Health Radio. And the replay for the link in the show notes will be there. And or you can go to any of your podcast aggregators, which is just a fancy word for saying an app that gathers your podcast that you choose. And search for Sound Health Radio and you'll find over 600 shows. 
and or at the, now at the top of the page, we also have a link for Stitcher, which will, if you click on that, or the Pocket Cast app, which is my preferred app. It's really got some great features. And click on either of those, and it'll take you to a page where it'll show you the latest show. And the, the aggregators tend to take about 15 to 30 minutes, just depending upon each one to have the latest show there and then also a list of the current shows, you know, some of the shows you can scroll through and see all of them. And I like both of those apps because it's easy to share the show with somebody else, with your friends. And this shows about the joy in living the Alkaline way really is going to be, it's such a great foundation of information for living well. It's amazing. With that, Dr. Russell Jaffe has more than 40 years of experience contributing to molecular biology and clinical diagnostics. His focus is on functional, predictive tests and procedures designed to improve the precision of both diagnosis and of treatment outcomes. He has authored nearly 100 articles on the subject. He received his BS, MD, and PhD from the Boston University of School of Medicine completed residency training in clinical chemistry at the National Institutes of Health, and remained on the permanent senior staff before pursuing other interests, including starting the Health Studies Collegium Think Tank. Dr. Jaffe is board certified in clinical pathology and in chemical pathology. He's the recipient of the Merck, Sharp, and Dome Excellence in Research Award, the J.D. Lane Award, and the USPHS Meritorious Service Award. He was honored as an International Scientist of 2003 by the IBC Oxford, England, UK for his lifetime contributions to clinical medicine, biochemistry, immunology, methodology, and integrative health policy. He is widely published and sought to explain complex subjects to any audience. Dr. Jaffe is also founder and chairman of ELISA, ACT Biotechnologies, and Magic Biotherapeutics. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD, CCN, is founder and chairman of Perk Integrative Health LLC, a company that offers the world's scientifically proven integrative health solutions to speed the transition from sick care to healthful caring. Dr. Russell joins us to talk about joy in living the Alkaline way. Welcome, Russell. Greetings. Good morning. Greetings. I especially appreciate it when someone uh, reads an introduction the way my mother wrote it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I practice those. Yes. Yeah, that is, that is, I, w- I wish my mother had written a bio for me like that. That's, really a, <laughs> that's a great bio. Um, when you were in school studying for your medical degree, before then you went on to get, wow, I think the only thing you're not is a lawyer. I mean, it's really quite amazing. You have amazing well, amounts I, of education. I, I, no, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an accountant and I have accountants and they don't practice medicine and I don't practice uh, finance and I have lawyers and they don't practice medicine and I really don't do law. But I have been at the interface of individual health, diagnostic procedures, what works and what doesn't, and why? It's really, it's really amazing. I, I, when I was reading the Alkaline Way, 
and I looked in the the very in the publishing part of the book, the very like key pages mm-hmm. up front. You started this project, the Outland Way project, what I call project, in 1989. And one of my questions is, yeah. when you're in medical school, so you're studying just mm-hmm. you're just in medical school, and I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying you're just there. You're not even the PhD in chemistry and the other all that. Right. Did the, did alkaline? How did alkaline float to the top for you as like a key sort of like point of the triangle of, of the you know not food pyramid but the food the pyramid of life that the alkaline balance was a key place to go? How did that float to the top well, in all of your education? Yes. Well, uh, I started as a skeptic, and the reason I was a skeptic is because I didn't learn anything about what we're going to talk about. As much as I learned, and I did gain, I think, a lot of book learning and and um, conventional knowledge, but I came as a skeptic to what I now advocate. I was sure it couldn't be true, and I went to disprove it, and I was wrong. So I'm acknowledging and paying forward the fact that I was wrong. And what what is what, what is it that we're really talking about? We're talking about survival in the 21st century. Can you live long and well in the 21st century? Or are you destined to have chronic disability? And just in terms of myself, at my biological age, I'm supposed to be taking a dozen medicines, half for the, for the side effects of the other half. <laughs> I'm, actually taking a lot of, I'm actually taking a lot of dietary supplements and no prescription medicines. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I have to interject. I have to interject because I'm in a similar ballpark. I'm slightly younger younger than you, but not by a lot. And I'm the same way. I don't take, I don't take, I'm the younger. So I'm the younger brother. You're the younger. (laughs) Exactly. But I'm in the same state of, I take no medications, none, zero. Even though every time I see a regular doctor, if you, if you mm-hmm. address, well, forget about the regular doctor, but if you address yeah. the cause, if you address the cause of a problem, why would you need reactive symptom suppressive therapies? Because if you address the cause, the consequence uh, is not so catastrophic. <laughs> and mic drop. Thank you very much, doctor. That was stupendous. Well, we're only, we're only talking about diabetes, heart disease, cancer, uh, inflammatory conditions, chronic illness. Other than that, you know, a piano could fall from the sky. (laughs) That's so true. Wow. That's so true. Um, And so when did you always have this? Was it that you, you got through medical no. school and then you went further to study chemistry? You got your PhD in chemistry. Was it the, at that point well, you began to figure actually, out the chemistry relationship? or? Well, no, actually that's a small but important point. So I was in what was called the six-year med program, which means you did your undergraduate and medical training in six years, not eight years. And in the middle of that, I folded in a PhD. So I was the first kid at Boston University to get three degrees on one day, AB, MD, PhD, one day. Aha, my parents finally got to go to a graduation after all that time. (laughs) Wow. No, I was a conventionally conventionally trained internist who could say amino acid, fatty acid, and protein, and that distinguished me from my colleagues who couldn't spell any of those words. (laughs) 
No, no, this is really true. At Boston City Hospital, when I was not yet a full-fledged doctor, I noticed that there were amino acid deficiencies in certain specific patients. And when those were corrected, quote, a miracle happened. The miracle means remission. And then wow. the people walked out, you know, in the, in the arms of their loved ones to go on and live their life. And I thought, well, I think all my colleagues should be able to spell amino acid or fatty acid, don't you think? <laughs> so that's you would where think. it started. And yeah. You would think. I'll save you the long story, but the short story is I end up at the clinical center of the National Institutes of Health as a resident in clinical pathology, but I could set up my own lab. And the first thing I did was show that occult blood testing would predict colon cancer unless you took vitamin C. Hmm. Wow. So, so loss of blood in the gut is a good predictor of colon cancer, except at that time, and it's better now and for good reason, but at that time, if you took more than one gram which was not a lot. If you took more than one gram of vitamin C, it would be falsely negative. Because for those wow. of your audience who are technical, hemoglobin is a pseudoperoxidase. The pseudoperoxidase reaction is quenched by the antioxidant activity of ascorbate. Okay. Now, <laughs> let me tell you what actually <laughs> happened. It's a short story, but it's cute. So I go to my boss and I say, I want to do the dose-response curve of ascorbate effects on occult blood testing. And my boss says, how many people? And I say, uh, six. And he said, uh, wh who? And I said, me, you, your boss, your boss's boss, and your boss's boss's boss. And he <laughs> says, eh, you're joking. I said, uh-uh, we're going to publish this. And so honestly, this is what happened. These were called paint cans. This was a gallon of paint would be housed in these units. And inside the paint can was a plastic bag. And you didn't poop in the commode. You pooped in the bag. And I did a mm. dose response curve that was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine in about 1974. And inside this little story, I'm going to tell you a second story. The editor-in-chief of the Annals of Internal Medicine, whose name was Ed Huth, H-U-T-H, a really wonderful doctor and editor. He calls me up and he says, we would like to publish your article. Well, at that point, you stop talking because it can only go downhill from there. He says, would you mind if I rewrote it? Now, editors do not rewrite your article. They might critique it. They might have another person send you some suggestions. I said, sir, did I hear you correctly that you would like to rewrite this? He says, yes, you wrote in such a terse scientific jargon that mere mortals will not understand what you wrote, but it might be important. I'm going to unpack it and, and, and write it in English. It was the third or fourth most cited article of the year because of him. And he wasn't even a co-author, but he was a really nice man. So yes, <clears throat> I have had the great privilege that while I was at NIH, every year we introduced a fundamental methodology change that is today the gold standard because that's what NIH should do. Wow. I'm still back at the, that you had the, um, I don't have any good words I can use on air. Uh, amazing uh, fortitude, uh, something, guts, 
to go to your boss and say, I want your boss, I want you and your boss's boss and your boss's boss's boss to poop into a plastic bag. And I'm going to study that and write a paper. That's an amazing, in 1974. Yes. And the part I didn't tell you was our own blood was going to be drawn and we were going to swallow variable amounts of blood and vitamin C, actually fixed amounts of blood and variable amounts of vitamin C. And that's how we did the dose response curve. But you're right. You have to have cojones. You have to have what, in Yiddish, it's called chutzpah. If you if if you want to do something on yourself, okay, and you and your boss, okay. But once you get two or three pay grades above yourself, you better be very confident that they won't kill you. <laughs> if you're lucky, if they're lucky, they won't they kill could. you. They no, could. No. They could do it. Yeah. They could. They could do it professionally in about two nanoseconds. They could do it physically, you know. But don't ask. Right. But they could. Your that publisher could have chosen to not. I mean, just say you've got to be kidding. No, no. This is why. Thank you, thank you, Richard. This is why I want to thank Ed Hughes. I I, I don't think he may have actually passed, but this is a long time ago, and he was an honorable gentleman. He was a scholar, a physician, and boy, could he write. Clearly, it it, it turns out you think everyone can write clearly. It's not true. If you want to make a point in science, it has to be unambiguous. Your language cannot be misinterpreted because if it can be misinterpreted, 16 people will misinterpret it, uh, you know, for pay, and, and, and you're dead meat. Yeah. Well, and it's highly technical. Yeah, it's an amazing skill to be able to take highly technical information, like medical information, and turn it into languaging where people can read yes. it yes. and yes. understand it. That's an amazing yes. skill. No, Richard, let me, let me give you some examples of people other than myself. David Katz at Yale. There's a fellow at MIT who was asked to comment on the Dalai Lama's comments. Wow. At the mind of my, I kid you not. The Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama is my daughter's godfather. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. And you were invited to MIT where my daughter was a student at the time. And this guy who ran the Whitehead Institute and he ran the Broad Institute and he ran the Office of Science and Technology Policy for the uh, President of the United States, he gets up and he says, I'm not a Buddhist. That was not a bulletin. (laughs) We were pretty sure he was not a Buddhist. And then he (laughs) said, he then he said, he turned towards his holiness and he said, every, every move, not just every word, every motion of your life has been a tribute to peace, tranquility, and universal affection. Mm. He stopped. And he had another 10 minutes. He stopped. And he went over and he shook hands. He didn't bow down, you know, but he shook hands. And at that point, my daughter and I are sitting next to his brother. And so my daughter whispers to me, uh, how come we're sitting next to his brother? And I said, well, obviously we need help. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I must tell you that I was not destined for the life I have lived, but the life I have lived, I hope, will be of inspiration, information, motivation, and then if people put the effort, called perspiration, into the experience, they too will discover what I discovered, which is you don't learn a certain number of things in medical school. <laughs> you yes. don't learn about environment. You don't learn about environment. You don't learn about relationship. You don't learn about love. You don't learn about heart. You don't learn about a whole lot of things, but you do learn a whole bunch of things. Yes. So don't throw the, yes. baby, out. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The question is, how are we going to train professionals to evoke human healing responses, to understand metabolism, to understand the microbiome and the metabolome, to understand the 21st century, which, by the way, they don't. And I mean most MDs, DOs, and health licensed professionals. They do not. Yeah. No, they don't. They don't. And I give them time off for good behavior because they just weren't taught. Like, talk to most doctors. What do they know about diet and nutrition? What do they know about relationship, about acupuncture, about uh, evoking human healing responses, about the environment and the toxins that we're marinating in, the anti-nutrient toxins that are all around us? Ask them. If they're honest, they'll say, I don't know. If they're dishonest, they'll say something that doesn't make any sense. I think the first time I really... I. I mean, I'd always had that. I got my degree as an herbalist in the late 80s. No, no, early 80s, late 70s. And so I'd always had a lean toward not anti-Western medicine, just sort of like, what are they thinking? Um, and I remember the first time I heard Bruce Lipton speak I, very early on before he became a big deal. And he talked about in medical school that doctors are taught dogmatic thinking about some things and then that's it that it's that it's dogma here's the you know you give them this medication this is not what he said this is me creating out of that and they he, you give them this pill and they'll feel better or you give them this you do that but it's really very dogmatic it's not very flexible and it doesn't take into context one of my favorite phrases total toxic load which has to do with the environment or other considerations. There's no external forces. It's all, you're a walking bag of water, and I'm giving you this thing, and you're a sealed system, and nothing else influences that. And that blows well, my mind. That's, that's, part of, that's part of the reductionist Descartesian, uh, you know, second law of thermodynamics mistake. Now, Bruce Lipton is a terrific person. He learned from Candy Pert, Candace Pert, mm-hmm. who, who was a student of mine, and, and she did the molecules of emotion and he learned that and he's terrific. And then you have Stanley Krippner. If you know about positive psychology and Gardner Murphy, you must know about the association for humanistic psychology because that has to do with people, how they feel and how they interact with the environment. And Stan Krippner helped found that. And I think if you call him up today, he will tell you that uh, I'm his doctor. So I have a very tiny, tiny, tiny private practice, but every one of them is someone memorable. Mm-hmm. I had the I had the You don't get to be the Dalai, you don't get to be the Dalai Lama's doctor for nothing. 
<laughs> no. Um, I had the honor of being able to uh, interview Candace Perth back in the early 90s when I was doing regular terrestrial radio. So I'm very familiar work, and I really miss her. No, no, I being... know you are. I know you are. Do you know the name David Winston? Yes. I can't remember okay. the category, but I know the name. Oh, herbalist David Winston. Oh, Draw yes. There we go. For... Yes. Aha. Yep. So when I took over the Carl Pfeiffer Princeton Bio Center in Princeton, New Jersey, I looked around, and there was David Winston. Wow. And I said, uh, what do you do? And he said, well, herbs. I said, uh, Mazel Tov, congratulations. What does that mean? And he told yeah. me, and I became his student, and then my kids became his student. Oh, awesome. Wow. What goes around comes around. You just have to be patient. <laughs> yes. And I have to – this is – we're completely jumping the shark here, but – what is your relationship to medical acupuncture? Did I read or hear, because I studied a lot about you, but you have some relationship to medical acupuncture, and what was, what was that? How is that? Well, I, I went to debunk a man named Queen Nguyen Wu, who was an acupuncturist on MacArthur Boulevard, not too far from NIH, and because I heard that he got results that we at NIH could not get, and I went to debunk him, and then I spent seven years as his student. Wow. And then I taught the first program for medical doctors in acupuncture. It was called Oriental Medical Strategies in Western Medical Practice, and it became the basis for licensure of medical acupuncture in New York and California. And by the way, if you do New York and California, everybody else kind of follows. Wow. Hmm. And, and do you have your... You you go ahead. I was going to say, and did you, in your practice in the early days, when you were doing that, were you doing medical acupuncture yourself as a practitioner? No, I had, had a, I, had, I, had, I had a day job. My day job was running the <laughs> laboratories of the clinical center of the National Institutes of Health, which had multiple institutes that we served. So that was my day job. At night, right. I went to Queens. At night, yeah. I went to Queens. And eventually, I hung out with him, socially and professionally. I must tell you, as I got wiser, as I got more experienced, he became much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in the first program that we were in, dealer named Patch, as in Patch Adams? Ah, yes. Well, Patch was in the program. Wow. Not, not Robin Williams. I studied right. with Robert Williams. That's another story for another time. But no, no, right. the Patch Adam and J.J. Johnson was in the mm-hmm. first program that Queen taught, and it was a half a dozen, maybe seven. It was small. It, it fit in his, you know, dining room. Yeah. He amazing. That acupuncture, he, he was amazing. He saw that acupuncture was going to become a profession. Today, there are thousands, thousands of people making their entire livelihood. And Medicare, CMS Medicare, finally approved reimbursement for back pain using acupuncture. Just amazing. two weeks ago. Really? Just two amazing. weeks ago? Wow. Wow. 
I didn't know it was just two weeks ago. I just foolishly assumed that that would be a thing. It only two weeks ago. It's amazing. So. No, no, you would think so. But you wow. actually have to have you actually have to have evidence and data. Wow, that's amazing. That's a whole other show talking about acupuncture. We'll save that for another time. Um, I want to again jump the shark here slightly because I want to get a couple of foundational things that I think sure. are vital, vital uh, indicators, markers, helpful, all of the above. One of them is you talk about using the pH paper, and I'm I. Can you talk about the what can we learn from peeing on the pH paper first thing in the morning? And and why is first thing in the morning the best time? What is this? I'll call it a setup, but I don't really mean that. But why is that the perfect time to test our first flow? Well, after rest, and rest is defined as six hours or more of lying down. After rest, the next urine as in the first urine after rest, is the one time a day where you have an equilibration between the fluid in the bladder and the lining cells of the bladder to know whether they have enough magnesium that buffers the acids of metabolism. And now you have to go to Albert Sense Georgie. This is a guy who won two Nobel Prizes. And when I met him, he was still going down every day in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, to the ocean where people thought it was actually dangerous for an 80-year-old guy to be, you know, in the ocean. And he said, well, if I die, I do, but I've done my thing. And I had a whole evening with him. And I walk in to his home in Woods Hole. And (laughs) he's asleep at the kitchen table. And his fourth wife, one, two, three, four, they, they died. He didn't divorce them. They passed, and then he got okay. So his fourth wife, who was statuesque and from gorgeous, gorgeous, and I said, please do not disturb him. And she said, I wouldn't think of it. <laughs> now, at some point, he woke up. He comes into the living room. He sits down, and he talked continuously for about two hours. And I'm a wow. talker. If you can yeah. talk, if you can talk continuously over me, you got to be interesting. Oh, he was fascinating. And then he gets up. Literally, he gets up at the end of this time, and he's walking upstairs. Now I realize it's time for me to get my jacket and go because he doesn't have to say goodbye. He just walks upstairs, meaning I'm going to bed. <laughs> and his wife <laughs> already done. Had my jacket. No, his wife already had my jacket in her hand. Now, them's my friends. This is truth. I didn't need him to be complimentary. I didn't need him to be, you know, fancy. I wanted to know what distilled wisdom he could impart to me. And he Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Linus Pauling and Erwin Stone and this and that and Sam Seifster. And, you know, if you... If you actually knew all the people that I'm talking about, you would be very impressed that some little kid could actually meet all of those different people. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing pile of data and information and learning and hanging out with amazing people, extraordinary people. And and so I want to go back to I want to go back to peeing on the tape for a minute. Why is this a vital foundation? It's such a simple thing to do. 
And once people get over the, oh my God, I peed on my fingers or, you know, all the, the, this like weirdness that we have. Oh, please. Oh, please. If you pee on your fingers, don't lick them. (laughs) Well, that's an Ayurvedic process. That's a different story. No, it is. It is. No, no. Let me just put it aside. It's an aside, but I do want to put this in. There's a point of view that says you should actually taste your own urine. Or maybe even drink your own urine because certain hormones get concentrated in the urine. And maybe if you drink your own urine, you know, you would get a double dose of hormones. Yeah. <laughs> so, have, you ever, have you ever done that? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Did you? Yeah. I thought you might have. I mean, normally people have a different response, which is yuck. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I did too. I did too. Just to get over the, the it wasn't revulsion. It was the um, intellectual lack of evidence integrity. I was told that what comes out of your pee or your poop or your sweat is excretion. Well, it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what if some of that what if some of that is actually helpful to recycle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In tomato juice then, it's well, nothing. <laughs> actually that's where Bloody Mary's and with thing with orange juice and vodka. What's it called? Whatever it's called. Screwdriver? Yeah, screwdriver. <laughs> See, I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> I divulge this, you know, in in, in complete candor. I am not a big drinker. I like wine. I like beer. But, you know, the things with a lot of alcohol, you know, a little is enough, but what most people have is too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I want to jump for a minute. I want to jump for a minute to a question in chat because I have a live chat room here. I have a gentleman who's saying he gets up every, you know, three hours or so to pee oh, during the night. Oh, oh. When does no, he no, take his test thank, then? No, 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 no. Please thank him. And thousands of people actually validated the following. If you're of a certain age, like mine, you will get up once or twice to pee at night. When, when as in when, is the right time? The answer is after you physically get up. Now, If you get up in the middle of the night and you go to the gym, or you get up in the middle of the night and you go to the refrigerator, all bets are off. But if you get up at night to go to the bathroom, and then you go back in bed to go to sleep, it's the next urine after you get up. Six or more hours, six or more hours of rest. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you pee twice or thrice in that time. If you're peeing too often, that's another story. Either you're overhydrated or you've got a prostate issue or whatever. But I I hope this was clear. It does not matter how many times you got up to go to the bathroom. It matters that you got back in bed afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. No, 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 it's a very important point. It's a very important point. It's it's a subtle point, but it's a very profound point. And whoever sent that in, I'm sure a lot of people had the same question. Right. And now I want to jump to a slightly what people would think of as a trickier area. Uh, you refer to it politely as transit time. I just like to blatantly say bowel transit time. 
you use that also as a marker and also in combination with charcoal as an actual like road marker. Would you talk about the 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 importance of bowel transit time? You have a chart in your book in the Alkaline Way about it, and also the fact that you use the what I call the road markers of charcoal as a way of monitoring the the transit time. Could you talk about that? Well, there are many ways of measuring transit time, including beets and charcoal. The reason we recommend charcoal is very simple. You take the charcoal capsules based on how much you weigh. These are Requa, R-E-Q-U-A, charcoal that's dioxin-free, etc., of course. And you mark the time when you swallow the charcoal capsules. And when the black, crumbly stuff comes out of your tush, you mark the time. And the difference is your digestive transit time. Now, you can use roast beets. And a healthy digestive transit time is 12 to 18 hours. And at night, when we have roast beets for dinner, the next morning, when I poop, I see red from the beets. But I will tell you, after all these years, the first thought I have when I see red in the commode is never beets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you can use beets. You can even use corn, although that's complicated. But the charcoal, the Requa charcoal that we use, it's inert. It's precise. If you have complicated digestive issues, it will show them. It is the best dollar or two dollar a day test that I know, self assessment test for the competence of your digestion. Hmm. And that's another both of the that's why I really wanted to t- to get those both in there because I think yes. the pH test and the bowel transit time, just that information we could stop the show. I mean that's um, フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカスしてみましょう。フォーカ
activate your immune system. That's not a bad thing. That's a fact. It's not opinion. It's a fact. Lectins activate your immune system. Well, what if your immune system was already overactivated and overstimulated and exhausted? Well, then you would want to follow the Alkaline Way Guide to Restoring Tolerance, which is what we've been doing for the last, you know, 35, 40 years in outcome studies for thousands of people. That's a good place to start. And do we need to, do you think that there is, so really it goes back to the alkaline way, and I'll toss this in also at this point, is in chapter one of your book you say, we are what we eat, drink, think, and do. And and in this category of lectins, so, so if we do all that, then the idea is that we build a strong enough immune system by doing an alkaline lifestyle, because that's what I like to call this is the alkaline lifestyle. Our immune system is strong enough that the lectins are not irritants to the system or not potential irritants. Am I right there? Or talk about that. Oh, please. you're a hundred percent, hundred percent correct. And by the way, the reason that his holiness is my daughter's godfather is because my mentor, Bhante Daimawara was senior as in superior to his holiness. And the first time I saw them together was on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. And I actually saw this happen, although I'm gonna tell you, but it's a little mind boggling. So his holiness sees Bunty and comes over in the Russell office building on uh, Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. And he puts his forehead on uh, Bunty's toes. And then they talk in Pali, which is ancient Sanskrit, and then His Holiness goes to receive the senators and the congressmen and the various chiefs of staff who are arrayed. And I say, excuse me, Bhante, uh, why? Uh, why did His Holiness do that? He says, oh, did you not know he is permitted to do that? And I said, no, I didn't know he was permitted to do that. What does that mean? He said, oh, how you say I outrank him? Hmm. How many people? How many people in the world do you think outright the Dalai Lama today? There's only two. And who was that? Who are those people? Well, you have one one called the Panchen Lama in Tibet, and the other one is called the head of the World Buddhist Fellowship, which, which was Bhante. He was in charge of Mahayana, Hinayana, Theravada, and and Zen. And he lived with me for thirty years. Wow. Which I think means which I think means I needed a lot of help. <laughs> wow. What a household. That's amazing. And by the way, he comes he comes by from time to time because, you know, he is related. That's that's a whole when are you writing that book? <laughs> That's a great book right there. Oh, no, no. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. I, I'm actually doing that. I, it, it can't be arrogant, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. My life has been my life has been so different than what was projected, expected and, you know, for ordained that I think I have to have the, the pay it forward obligation of telling people 
why did I walk away from all the opportunities that I had and then things got better? Mm-hmm. You when just you're in the never know. When you're in the permanent, excuse me, excuse me, when you're on the permanent senior staff of NIH before you're 30, you're one lucky duck. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you give that up? Why would you walk away from that? Does it get better? Yes, it did, but only in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Not me. Right. I, I want to jump back to Auckland for just a moment and talk about and ask mm-hmm. a question. I, I want you to... <laughs> Because I know you are the, I, I think you have a baseball cap that says, you know, head debunker. Um, I want you to talk about <laughs> the idea that people have about putting baking soda in a water and drinking it as a way to alkalinize our systems. No, I'm very glad that you asked that question as clearly as you asked it. If you try to fool Mother Nature, you will fool yourself. Let me explain that. If you put baking soda into your stomach, which should be very acid, you will neutralize the acid of your stomach and create mal, 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 bad digestion. The notion that the body is one is wrong. You have different parts of every cell, different parts of your body, including your Colon should be alkaline. Your stomach should be acid. The notion of bicarbonate, sodium bicarbonate, trisalt, thrown into the stomach. I must tell you, I am a biochemist. That seemed bizarre. As in, how would you induce problems? Well, let me neutralize the acid that should be in your stomach from histidine so that too much of your histidine becomes histamine so that you become allergic so that you have autoimmune disease. Let me check. None of that is a good idea. Right? (laughs) Right. Yes. Well, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, this notion of throwing bicarbonate in willy-nilly on the basis that it doesn't matter where it is, it does matter. In the mouth, it's different than in the stomach. In the stomach, it's different than the duodenum. In the duodenum, it's different than the small intestine. Small intestine, different. Well, (laughs) Goldilocks would have told you that. (laughs) I I agree with Goldilocks. I agree with Goldilocks. Not too little, not too little, not too much. Just right. That's right. Yeah. Well, for me, it was for me, it was after I interviewed Jonathan Wright decades ago, back in the eighties, eighties, yeah, late eighties, uh, from his, about his book, Stomach Acid is Good for You. Did it all because I'd always been a fan of, well, acidity in a in a positive sense of the digestive system. And once I interviewed Jonathan Wright, it just like clicked in, and it's and I can't ever, I've never been able to go back from. No, you really want your gut to be, your stomach to be acidic because it's it's a protective system to begin with. And if you don't have acid, all these people I knew that were taking antacids, like, really? Does this make sense that we're taking antacids? Does Prilosec make any sense? Really? It's mind-boggling. Well, yes, it is. 
it's mind-boggling until you see how the cash flows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forgive me, but if you had a trillion dollars of bad money that made people suffer, would you give it up? I don't know. It's a hypothetical question because I don't have it, and I'm not going to give it to you, and you don't have it, but it's a hypothetical question because it's true. Yeah. One-third of our $3 trillion that is spent on health care in America today either makes people suffer more or is administrative fat and fluff. I think that means that we have I think that means we have a trillion dollars we can recapture to evoke human healing responses. Yeah, what a rash idea in the healthcare system to invoke healing responses. That's well, it's gonna it's gonna require the Maitreya Buddha. Mm-hmm. Every two thousand five hundred years the planet gets a Buddha. The last one was kind of gentle. That was Gautama. Maitreya Buddha, by the way, comes when the world needs him or her, and they knock heads together because the planet is a mess. Let me check. The planet is a mess. Boy, how Where is the next? Where is the next Buddha? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the perfect, that's the perfect link. Uh, one of the things I wanted to get to in our last 10 minutes or so is I really wanted to ask about the, that part where you say what we are, what we eat, drink, think, and do. And part of that oh, was oh, well, the, the, well, the wait, thinking, wait, wait, wait. the mindfulness. No. How did, has mindfulness always been part of your thinking or did that come into your life and then that happened? No, very good question. I must tell you, I met Bhante Damawara at his birthday party, and then he moved in, and I learned color healing from him. And then over time, I had one year. Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I stay at the National Institutes of Health, where I would probably end up running the National Institutes of Health, which is, by the way, a very good gig if you can organize it for yourself. (laughs) Should I do that, or should I leave? Should I give it all up? And for the entire year, <clears throat> he was uh, giggling. I'll tell you about giggling some other time, but he was giggling. And then one day I realized I was going to leave whatever whatever opportunity, whatever power, whatever this, I was going to leave, and I was going to follow him. And I walked in to our simple two-bedroom bachelor apartment in Greenbelt, Maryland, owned by Ted Lerner. And he starts with, and he starts with, as your heart settled. I just walked in. It's been a whole year. I would go to him and he would giggle. I would go to him and he would giggle. And now I go to him and he says, has your heart settled? I said, yes. He says, "Uh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to follow you. He said, okay, now we can talk. I said, why couldn't we talk two days ago? He said, because your heart hadn't settled. Mm. They left me me complete autonomy. 
once I made my commitment, okay, now you're committed. Until you're committed, you're not forgiven, mm. but it's a information, inspiration, motivation. I got that. The question is perspiration. Who's going to show mm. up and do the work? Only the yeah. people who want to survive. Only the people mm. who want to survive. The people who want to survive, let me check. This is what we've been doing for the last few thousand years. It's worked for the last few thousand years. I'm pretty sure it's going to work for the next few thousand years. After a few million years, who knows? <laughs> yes. I like the I like the who knows? I don't know. I what do you think? I who don't knows? know. I'm right. look, I don't go above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. And so do you spend hours a day meditating? 72 minutes a day. Is that a golden number or is that just your choice? No. Is that something? Okay. No. Yes, this is derived from wisdom. 5% of your time, which is 1,440 minutes, which translates to 72. So when people say to me, I don't have time, to advance, I don't have time to relax, I don't have time to evoke healing responses. I said, could you imagine 72 minutes a day? And they always say yes. I said, well, use them wisely. Hmm. Uh-huh. 72 minutes a day will achieve enlightenment. I didn't say in 20 minutes, but I did say 72 minutes a day will achieve enlightenment. What's wrong with achieving enlightenment? Yeah. 5% of your time. Almost hmm. everybody can give you 5%. It's not like we're asking you to become, I, I've forgotten who it was, but there was a young woman in the Olympics of, um, what, of gymnastics. And she was like 10.0, 10 10.0, Me? <laughs> First of all, I wouldn't have gotten there. <laughs> <laughs> and more importantly, yeah. it, more importantly, it didn't matter. <laughs> there is the question that. is how can we be how can we be the best of ourselves so that we can evolve to being the better of ourselves? That's eat, drink, think, do, and think, drink, think, do, and that was a monk, a Buddhist monk. A mm -hmm. not inconsequential Buddhist monk, but it was that was his, it's what he said to me. What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you think? What do you do? And I said, How do you know? He said, I do. I said, Really? And then he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of boggled, kind of my mind. Yeah. But he moved in. This is really a true story. He moved in, and then I get up at my usual time, which is seven a.m. And I come out of my bedroom, and I'm very quiet in the morning. I really don't need a lot of time. I come out of my bedroom, and there's a hot breakfast on the table, and it's absolutely perfect at 7 a.m. I mm -hmm. look at him, and he smiles. I sit down, I eat breakfast. Okay, next day. I decide that uh, I must have gotten up too late, so I get up at 6.30. Walk out of bedroom. 
not naked. Breakfast on table. He smiles. I eat breakfast. How about 5.30? How about 5? How about 4.30? How about 4? Finally, I come out of the thing. I'm staggering. It's, it's utterly too early. Completely cooked breakfast on the table. I said, excuse me, what time, excuse me, sir, what time should I get up? He says, you get up, you get up, breakfast, be on table. He was then, <laughs> aha, you got it, you got it. He was demonstrating to me that he knew before I knew what I was thinking. But he didn't have to say anything. But he didn't right. have to say anything. Just didn't have to say it. No. Why would, if you have the Dalai Lama and the King of Cambodia and the Queen Mother of Thailand bowing down to you, why would you, you know, demean yourself to say anything about who you are? Right. Which leads to a lot of giggling and smiling. Giggling means that I didn't understand my question. Uh-huh. When I would ask a question and I didn't understand what the answer would be, he would giggle. Now, how do you argue with an 80, 90, 100-year-old person who's giggling? (laughs) You can't. You can't. Yeah. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And can I achieve this by the mindfulness part, can I also achieve this by doing something like Tai Chi or Qigong or a, a no, walking no, meditation? Aikido, yes. Aikido, walking meditation, forest bathing, um, uh, mentastics from Traeger, and that Baniel method. There are many ways to get to the core. Technique? You pick your technique. Do you like Chinese? Do you like Indian? Do you like Thai? Do you like Indo-Chinese? Do you like Native American? Do you like... Uh, they're all the same. Right. Can you say a bit? Can you say a moment more about mentastics? I was there was a bunch of I'm I'm familiar with everything you talked about in the book, the Feldenkrais, the various kinds of body work that you talked about, and all that. And we didn't even get to the rebounder. But would you say a bit more about mentastics? Because I thought that was really interesting. The Traeger mentastics. So there's Dr. Milton Traeger, T R A G E R, Dr. Milton Traeger, and he developed a technique that included mat work, you know, like a foam cushion, uh, called Traeger Mentastics. And I would urge you to look up online on YouTube, Dr. Not Dr. <laughs> My friend Roger, Roger Toll, T O L L E, Roger Toll, T O L L E, Roger Toll. Moving into agelessness. What if you could be 120 and bouncing around like a 40-year-old? Not a bad Mm. gig if you could get it. So I tested Bhante. This is the monk that I lived with. I tested Bhante at 96 and 106 years of age. And both times he came out as about a 40-year-old. And I presented a data to him. And he looked at me and he said, 40 years a good age. 
40 is a good age. Mm-hmm. If you can be dancing, if you can be dancing at 120, feeling like you're 40, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I plan to be. I plan to be, and I want you and my friends with me. Because if you're alone at that point, who gives a shit? Yeah. There's but if that. you have your yeah. friends with you, if you have your friends with you when you're dancing at 120, uh, it's a good gig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Traeger Mentastics, Feldman Christ Movement Education, um, Dean Juhan, Job's Body, um, uh, Spiritual Aspects of Body Work, uh, Roger Toll, uh, Moving into Agelessness. Them's my friends. Mm-hmm. They come a good by. Crowd. They, do, they, they come by. I have a table. I lie on the table. They do nice things. I feel good. And there's no sex involved. Right. If you want to have sex, that's a different story. But honestly, this is movement education. This is not about sex. Right. Yeah, I'm a fa- I'm a big fan of Feldenkrais. I think it's a great form of you know motion. Oh, are you aware, are you aware that I was Moshe's doctor? No. <laughs> I was. Wow. Okay. Ah. That is that is actually a wow because he really Moshe was a very unique person for a lot of reasons, and Jay Friedheim introduced us, and then Jay says to Moshe, uh, Russell should be your doctor, and he said, Ah, oh, you should be so lucky, and I said, Ah, reciprocally, and we laughed. Wow. And I was that. That's amazing. You have several books to write. You have several books to write. That's for sure. Well, I hope so. I hope so. The first book is about how to survive and thrive in the 21st century. The second mm-hmm. book is how did I get here. What the hell happened? I, you know, I was supposed to go back to Brookline, Massachusetts, have a bunch of kids, you know, who would be really religious, etc. And it didn't happen. I have children, but not those kinds. Right. Yeah. But they're spiritual. In- they're star children. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, I'm I'm surprised to find that we're here already. Where I need to ask you, well, how can people find yeah. how can people find your book? Where do people find your book, and how can they find out no, no, more no, about no, your no, work? No, no, thank you. No, no, thank you so much. It's betterlabtestnow.com. This is the website. Betterlabtestnow. Dot com. That's a portal for consumers who want to be healthier and survive. And then we have the PIH Academy, Perk Integrative Health Professional Certification Academy, PIH Academy. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to acquaint anyone who is still listening after all this time, because it's been more than an hour, about how to save their life in the 21st century. And it is timely to do that, because otherwise we're going to die. I agree. I look forward to doing our show about the living, surviving in the 21st century with your book, because well, I think it's so important. In, 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 in Yiddish, my friend, it's called Alavai. Alavai means may it be so. But what you just said, I want you to join me when we are, when I'm 120. I'm sure you're going to be a little less than 120, but I would like you to join me when I'm dancing at 120. 
Happy to. Happy to. <laughs> you have to think forward. You have to think forward. Otherwise, you think backward. Yeah. Who's another good hat? Who I like that. That's a great one, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I Thank try you so to much. leave people laughing. I try to leave people laughing and wanting more. Right. Always. Yeah. Always. Like a good meal. Always wanting a little more. Um, thank you so much, yes, Doctor. I knew this. Was, I knew this was going to be an adventure, and uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I know there will be more shows. Oh, at your pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much, and everybody else have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.